0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 3 is where we're going to be and uh, we'll be right back where we were last week and I thought we'd move on from James 3.13 but we're actually going to be in the same verse we were last week and uh, it's probably less about uh, you not getting it as much as it is uh, me not feeling like I didn't cover it as much as I should have last week. And so sometimes you get to a verse and your mind goes in a hundred different directions. And, uh, and tonight I'd like to expand a little bit on this. So uh, let's go ahead and stand. James chapter 3 and uh, we'll begin reading in verse 13. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. Uh, but once again, we won't cover the rest of the chapter. We're just going to be in, in verse 13. Um, it's talking about uh, the, the, the heading in my Bible... Um, ...says earthly and heavenly wisdom. And this section of scripture is, is James trying to get the readers to evaluate themselves... ...and if their life reveals heavenly wisdom or earthly wisdom. The whole, the whole book of James has been uh, us, if, uh, or the readers and us... ...though applying um, truths to say, okay, how am I doing in the area of, of when a trial comes... What kind of maturity am I revealing? Uh, when, it, when I'm tempted to sin, am I showing maturity or not? If, I, if someone uh, comes into the church and, and I'm impartial or partial to those that have you know, expensive clothing over those that look poor, then I'm revealing my level of maturity in that way. And, and so the whole book of James is him just giving us test after test. And this one is the test of, of wisdom. Do we have heavenly wisdom or earthly wisdom? And, and so we'll read beginning of verse 13 and go down through 18. It says, Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, Devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. Of them that make peace. So, in many ways, verses fourteen through eighteen expand, um, or on the end of verse thirteen, when it's talking about having the spirit of meekness of wisdom, and it talks about how we ought to interact with each other. And I plan to get to that next time. But for today, I just want to look again at verse thirteen and ask this question: Who here is wise? Who here is wise? And I want you to feel the awkwardness of that question, uh, because I don't want you to, to get to the idea that if I raise my hand, then that's all it takes. Because uh, James makes it clear that it's not just about what we say, it's about what we show. That's how we know if we have wisdom or not, and I want to look at that more closely. Thank you for standing. You may be seated, and may God bless the reading of his word. Last night or last time I began with the question, who here is wise and made you awkwardly stand there or, you know, think about it. And, and, and some of you were thinking, okay, I think that I have wisdom, but I don't want to stand up and say I'm wise because that seems proud. Uh, that's wisdom, by the way. And some of you said, I, I mean, I think I have wisdom, but I think I'm going to wait till somebody else stands up and, and let them take the heat for being the first one. That also shows a level of wisdom. And then there are some of you that were saying, I'm not sure that I'm wise, so I'm not going to stand up. And whether or not you think you're wise, that shows some wisdom as well. See, all three of those, of those processes, thought processes, reveal a certain level of wisdom because it's not us saying that we're wise that makes us wise. It's our actions that reveal whether or not we're wise. And the definition that we looked at last week was this. Wisdom is applying God's truth to everyday life. That's wisdom. Biblical wisdom is not just intellectual. Biblical wisdom is behavioral. It shows up in what we do. And man's wisdom might get you ready for jeopardy. But God's wisdom is going to get you ready for life. That's the difference between the two. And when Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom there in 1 Kings, he wasn't looking for trivia... He was looking for the ability to discern and apply truth to real life situations that he was going to be facing. And we come to James 3.13 and he uses two words here. He says, who is a wise man and who is en- endued with knowledge among you. And we've already defined wisdom as applying God's truth to our everyday lives. but And then the second word there is knowledge. And last week, we looked at the fact that knowledge in this word, knowledge means a specialist, as in somebody who specializes in a certain trade or a certain skill or a, a certain area of expertise. And, and so, if I need my car worked on, um, I'm seeing brother, is brother Heath in here? I thought he was here. Um, if I get my car worked on, I, I will probably take it to brother Heath. And if I need my roof worked on, I will take it to Brother Phil. Now, I'm sure Brother Phil can turn a wrench. But I'm I'm sorry, Brother Phil. If my car needs work done, I'm going to take it to the garage. And if I need a roof, Brother Heath could probably reach the peak of my roof. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I'm going to call him when I need a new roof. So you understand, they have different specialties. And what James is saying here is we need wisdom specialists. Those that have been endued with knowledge. It's the only time this word is found in the New Testament. And it's specializing those who specialize in applying truth to everyday life. That's what James is talking about. If anyone should be wisdom specialists, by the way, it should be the people right here in this room tonight. I mean, here at Eastside Baptist Church, the Bible is at the center of everything that we do. It's the rule of faith and practice. And you get multiple messages a week. Plus, if you come to Sunday school, which, by the way, you ought to come to Sunday school at 945. Come to Sunday school. And and you get one more time of hearing truth. And and there should be nobody, no group of people, better at applying truth to life than we are. Uh, You would think that, that, that the best wisdom specialists are the ones who hear wisdom all the time. And it should be that way. But I think the danger for us is that we hear so much truth that we become all ears and we never do anything about it. See, that is a danger. We talked about that in chapter 1, hearing versus doing. And, and, and listen, though, whether the preacher lays out a specific application that applies to your life, the truth exactly as you need it, you must become a specialist in applying that truth or applying that principle to your life and taking steps to make it happen whether or not he ever mentions an application that directly applies to you. That is a sign of maturity. That is a sign of thinkers. And we need thinkers in our congregation that can take a principle and apply it whether or not the preacher ever mentions it. You have the Holy Spirit and he's the one teaching and illuminating the truth. And so at some point you can't rely on a preacher to always feed you exactly how you're supposed to apply it. At some point you have to go from passive listener to from passive hearer to active listener. And you've got to take a step, and and I'd love for us to be the mature kind of church that does that. Don't just absor- absorb information the whole time the word is being preached or taught. You should be making application to your everyday life. That's wisdom. I was talking to, to somebody, to a set of parents, this just even recently about their son, and 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 their son is struggling, and. And, and I talked to him a lot, uh, he would listen to the preaching, but, but when I at, would ask him um, when's the last time he was convicted about something he heard in a message, he couldn't remember. And, and young people, listen, that's going to present a problem in your life. Uh, Because, and, and I can see it and I know what it was like when I was a teenager, it's easy just to sit there and hear the words, but never think about the fact that those words could have an impact on your day tomorrow. And you're going to find yourself in your life being a mess if all you ever do is hear. And most of these kids here, they've grown up every week. They hear truth. They hear God's truth. They hear messages being preached. Uh, But very often it's in one ear and out the other. Because they're not taking the time to to, to apply that truth to their life today. And and parents, if you've got young people in this section right here or young people sitting by you, make it a habit when you get home to say, what application are you going to make from the message that you heard tonight? And now I don't always do that with my kids because I'm the one preaching it and I don't want to hear how bad it was, okay? So usually my kids are like, Dad, do you know that you said this? I'm like, yes, I know. Did you hear anything else? Okay. (laughs) I heard it too. Come on. I did that to my dad, so turnabout's fair play, you know. Anybody can, but you know, anybody can hear truth and apply it to their life. Anybody in this room can be a wisdom specialist. Any age, any background, any intellectual level uh, can be a wisdom specialist. The fact that James says in in chapter 1, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And that means that anyone can have wisdom. Anybody can, can, can seek wisdom from God and have it. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to have been raised in church, although uh, parents don't assume that that doesn't help because it's an advantage if we raise our children in church. Uh, you don't have to be saved for a long time. You don't have to have some position of leadership or influence. No, listen, God's wisdom is available to anybody with a Bible and a desire. If you seek it, it will reveal itself in your life because that means you're applying it to your everyday life. And so when asking who had wisdom, listen, James wasn't, we sometimes can say, oh yeah, I'm wise. We're like, oh, who's wise? Oh yeah, right here, I'm wise. Oh yeah, me, like the teacher's pet, you know, raising her hands. But James wasn't looking for raised hands. He was looking for recognizable habits. He's not looking for raised hands. He's looking for recognizable habits. That's how you show you have wisdom. It's not about what you say. It's about what shows up in your life. And so I'd like to then go back through some of what we talked about last week and then then take the next step in it and do some thinking tonight. Uh, James' point in verse 13 is this. You can't prove your wisdom by saying I'm wise. You prove it by showing it. Don't just say it. Show it. Okay, how do you do that? Well, you show your wisdom with a good conversation. And last week, we looked about what that, looked at what that means. A good conversation means a beautiful life. And James is saying that, that our lives ought to be lived in such a way that even those who don't follow the Lord, and they may not even be believers at all, that they can take note of the quality of our lives. See, whether or not we, uh, we uh, even understand or think about this, people watch us all the time, especially if you claim to be Christ's. Where you work, if the people at your job know that you're a Christian, they're watching you. They're listening to your words. They're watching how you respond to things. They're listening to your spirit or watching the spirit that you have. You're being watched at all time. And, if, in the, and the way that you will live a life that's compelling to those on the outside is to say, I want to apply truth ...to my life every way possible. That will allow you to live a beautiful life. And it's the idea of the quantum leap that we talked about last week... ...the show where he gets dropped into somebody else's life... ...and if someone was dropped into your life... ...how much would their life change based on how you live your life? I mean, beyond just a couple of hours of church a week... ...if someone was randomly dropped into your life... How much of a beautiful life for the Lord would, 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 would change if they were dropped into your position? See, a beautiful life doesn't mean that you have those, uh, you know, you have pretty much the same kind of life that everybody else lives. Except, you know, you've got a few Christian things involved. I mean, a beautiful life is not hanging those Christian signs up around your house that says, it has a cross and it says, bless this house with love and laughter. It's a nice sign, but it's just saying something. It's not actually, it's like, you know, live, laugh, love. That's so inspirational. How many of you, okay, how many of you have that sign in your house? Nobody's going to admit it, okay. They should make realistic signs. If it's loud, we're probably fighting, something like that. I saw one that said, don't grow up, it's a trap. But let's be honest, inspirational signs are kind of like saying we live beautiful lives but if there were realistic signs hanging up around our house what would they say caution angry dad warning rebellious teenager or beware of disobedient kids you know no but those signs would not sell okay it's not what we say it's what we show And I think as Christians, we hang those signs up in our lives and we say, well, this is what I am. And we kind of attach our own labels. But that doesn't fool the Lord. See, a beautiful life is based on what we do. So I'm just asking tonight, how much beauty is evident in your life for God? How much of a difference can be seen between your life and the life of the average person that lives on your street? Because understand, a beautiful life doesn't happen by accident and just to illustrate this tonight you know i you know i think about our building and our building is beautiful i i love this building i'm thankful for it its beauty though didn't just appear out of thin air and those of you that were here during the building process you know it was it was it was one phase at a time you know, they had to prepare the, the dirt. They probably had to bring dirt in and then prepare the ground and dig and, and put down sand or gravel and then start to pour piers and a foundation. One truckload at a time of concrete came. It didn't just all appear one day. They had, they had to set the steel beams for the building and they had to then frame the walls and they had to then start on the interior and then, brick by brick, they had to put the brick on the outside of the building. And, and, and then they had to go drywall piece by drywall piece. And one paint stroke after another paint stroke. It didn't just magically appear one day. It was one phase at a time. And that's what we need to understand about living a beautiful life for the Lord. Is that a beautiful life is not just magically lived. Like it's a summary of our life. It suddenly just shows up. No, a beautiful life is built brick by brick in our life. It's 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 and according to this passage here, um, it's work by work. It's spirit. It's a spirit. And, and so I just want you to understand that 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 when you're if you want a beautiful life, you don't just click your you know snap your fingers and and click a button and it appears. No, you have to make. Choice by choice, day by day, to to have this work, this deed. I mean, I've got the VBS bricks up here, and and you have to decide one day at a time that this work right here is going to either contribute to or take away from the way that I live a beautiful life. And, and then, you, you know, one work at a time, you put another work right here, and then you've got more works, and, and you know, this is a decision uh, to, that you make to either come to church faithfully or not, and this is a spirit, uh, the, the decision to have a good attitude or a good spirit, and, and this is a decision, you know, these decisions are, this is what makes up our life. God doesn't just say, okay you're living a beautiful life as a summary and that's, that's all I'm going to judge. No, you show your wisdom by, your, by a good conversation, but specifically, if you want a beautiful life, you show your wisdom first by your works. And this is talking about spe, uh, specific deeds, particular acts. I want to live a beautiful life, but I don't to get, to, get to live a beautiful life until I'm willing to address the specific works. In my life, see a beautiful life is built brick by brick, and therefore we ought to. And this is important. And I want you to understand the spirit that I'm that I'm preaching this with tonight, because there may be some um, you know, some controversy, or uh, you know, we're going to apply this to certain ways. But I want you to understand it's not even so much about the application as much as I'm trying to get you to consider that every work you do contributes either to a beautiful life or a life that's not beautiful. And if my entire life was built, we ought to think about it this way. If my entire life was built on a deed like this one, would it be beautiful? If my entire life was built on the decision I'm about to make, on the television program I'm about to watch, or on the the, the song I'm about to listen to. See, we have to understand every particular thing that we do either contributes to or takes away from the beautiful life. Every work matters. And, and we're, what we're, good, we're good at saying, well, this one work won't make that big of a difference. But according to James, every work makes a difference. And so to, to look, let's keep your place in James 3. And then let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I just want to read a few verses about the judgment seat of Christ. And I want you to see it here uh, before we make some application. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and, and verse 11 is where we're going to start. And Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 3, 11, For other foundation can no man lay, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So once you're saved, that's your foundation. Okay, once, so this is talking about people that are saved, they have Jesus Christ, the foundation has been laid. He says, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." And what Paul is explaining is that our lives are made up of individual pieces. He says it's gold and silver and precious stones or it's wood and hay and stubble. And that means that, that our judgment seat experience won't simply be a sum total of our lives. Uh, but, but each piece will be judged in itself. Each piece is what makes up the sum total of our lives. So the works that we do, and I don't know exactly what it looks like, but the works that we do as Christians will be, I'm imagining that, that they'll be poured out. God will maybe pour them out on an altar in, in all the works that we've done for Christ. Now, our sin was already judged, by the way, on the cross. So our, Jesus Christ took the judgment for our sin. So we're talking then about the works that we do for the Lord once the foundation of Jesus Christ has been laid. Talking about the works we do for Christ. So he takes our works. And understand it's wood, it's gold, silver, precious stone, wood, wood, hay, and stubble. And over and over you say every man's work, every man's work, every man's work. So it's a pile of things. And, And somehow, I mean I guess he doesn't turn on the burner, but the flame comes on. And our works will be in that flame. And I don't know how long it will take, but for a while, everything that we've done for Christ will be burning. And after a while, you know, I can, can you imagine the emotion of seeing a big pile of works at the beginning? But as the flames get hotter, the works get smaller and smaller because many of those works are being burned up. And the pile is getting smaller and smaller until the work, the fire is done and the burning is done. And then I can imagine then God taking his finger and kind of filtering through the ashes to see how much gold and silver and precious stones are left of the works that we did for Christ. So understand, God isn't going just, just going to say, okay, the sum total of your life was positive. It's pass or fail. No, he will... Be, be judging works. I mean, individual works that we've done for the Lord will be in that, all on that altar and he'll be sifting through it and, and he's looking at individual works and I mention that because I want you to understand before we get back to James 3 and you could turn back over there actually if you want understand this, that every work matters to God. Every deed I mean, if every jot and tittle matters, then every work that we do matters, and I want you to understand the significance of that. Because here is the danger that I think that we we as God's people are good at compartmentalizing our Christian lives, and what I mean by that compartmentalizing—that's what guys do, okay. Girls, uh, so girls have all their thoughts in one pot and they're all connected somehow. I heard somebody talk about this. And somehow they're all firing and connecting with each other. Guys, I'm like, this is work. This is my work box. And this is um, hunting. And this is my car. And this is Jesus right in the middle. But you know, it's like the the OCD kid whose food can't touch at all. Yeah, that's how guys are. It's like we don't, want our, we don't want the boxes touching. And we're able to compartmentalize. Well, that's how Christians can be, I think, when it comes to the works that we do. See, so we think, well, you know, this work over here, this is, you know, what I do at church is a work. And I, and, you know, and I take this very seriously. Um, but what I do at home isn't quite as important. So, so there's not really a connection between the two. But listen, if every work we do... ...matters to the Lord... ...and every work will be judged by the Lord... ...then what you do at home... Right. ...is just as important to God... ...as what you do at church. Yes. Yeah. And what you do at work... ...is just as important... ...as what you do when you're driving down the road. Yeah. And we're, we're very good... ...at compartmentalizing the Christian life... ...and in rating the works... ...that matter the most... ...but if we're judged by every work then that means that every work matters. And we've got to be careful of, of, of prioritizing the works down here because we don't get to choose which works get judged up there. And, and I'm just going to apply this in a, certain, in a few areas, and then you can throw these. I, I'm glad the bricks are up here, so you won't throw them at me as I do this. For example, a lot of Christians are going to tell you that God doesn't care about the music we listen to. Very compartmentalized. And he doesn't give us boundaries in scripture, so it's all okay and it doesn't matter. So when someone teaches or preaches about music and applying truth to music, then we say, that's not applicable, N-A. But wait, I'm asking though, is listening to music, is it a work? Well, what else would you call it? Is if it's something that we do, then yes, we would have to say it's a work. And James said that we show our wisdom a good out of a good conversation and our works. So, so you can reveal God's wisdom through work, like the music that you listen to. So. If music is a work and every work either reveals godly wisdom or earthly wisdom, then I better be sure that I've applied God's truth to even my music choices. And you say, well, that doesn't matter. It's not that important. Hey, careful about compartmentalizing. We already talked about that. If every work will be judged and every work matters to God and every work that I do can reveal God's wisdom, then even the music I listen to matters. And understand, I'm not up here giving you an approved list of music. I wouldn't do that. Okay, that's, that's, I don't consider that to be. Now, if you come and ask me, well, we can have a conversation and I think I can help you draw some lines. But in the end, you are the one that will stand before Jesus Christ by yourself and you'll have to answer that for yourself. Sure. But in general, I can ask a couple questions that'll help us think. Would you say that the lost listen to worldly or godly music? You can answer. Okay? And if that's the case, if it is worldly and it doesn't have to do with God, then should it be a concern to us as God's people if our music choices are essentially the same as the lost? And, I, and I'm letting you, you draw your lines. Just trying to give you some logical reasons why we should think about even our music choices as a work. Um, you know, there's, if you end up at the same concerts as those who don't follow the Lord, should that con- decision, should that concern you? you know, does that decision more reflect God's truth or the culture? I mean, what's determining the concerts that you go to? What's determining the music that you listen to? And, and, and listen, I know that's meddling. And trust me, as a preacher, you sit in your office thinking, Lord, I just don't, don't want to preach this tonight. I want friends. But understand, I hope you see my spirit in this. I'm, I'm giving you some logical ways to think about this and then you're going to have to draw your own lines. Amen. See, that's one of the areas that's often taboo is music. Oh, don't talk about music. That's for the teenagers. Uh, but I think we'd be surprised how many adults who grew up with a certain kind of music, every time you hear a song, it brings back an old memory and you want to turn it up. You know, and you find yourself singing it at Walmart and your kids are like, dad, what are you singing? It's like, it's amazing grace. It's a different tune, okay? It's taboo, and we say, no, that area doesn't apply. No, yeah, you can talk about my witnessing, and you can talk about this and that, but don't talk about my music. But when you get to heaven, you don't get to choose which works get judged. So we can't choose which works are a priority here. They all matter. And this is, man, you're going to, some of you, hopefully this one, not as much, but social drinking. And it, I, and not necessarily in our church. I think it's becoming an, epi- an epidemic in a lot of churches. And I've heard all the arguments. And I know I just don't buy the arguments. And and I believe that Jesus turned that water into grape juice, fruit of the fruit of the vine, and non-alcoholic drink. Uh, why would the one who came to fulfill the law do something in direct contradiction to the law? You know. But for some, I understand the arguments but for some this is off the table we don't get to talk about this one well why not Because is drinking a work yeah it's a work and so will we answer for every work Yes, so we better think about this before we just assume that what I like or prefer is the way to go. No, we have to show godly wisdom in every work that we do. And have you ever, if you, if you uh, don't see anything wrong with it, no, just before you just say, you know, I don't see anything wrong with it. No, take the time to apply God's truth to that work. And I think if you will, you'll, you'll be able to come to your own conclusions without somebody telling you what to think about it. Because if you sincerely seek the Lord's wisdom on an issue like social drinking, I believe if you have an honest, sincere heart before him, he'll reveal it to you. So don't take my word for it. Um, so, uh, so then I, if every work matters to God and I will be judged for every work, then I better be open to applying truth to social drinking. Because I don't want to get, I don't want to live my whole life being defensive about it. And then when I stand before Christ, find out I was wrong because I never gave him a chance to apply truth to that issue. Even if the world doesn't claim drinking to be a Christian work, by the way. That's not something they think about Christians and when they think about that work. The only ones, in my estimation, the ones most trying to justify it are the Christians. Okay, now I'm in trouble. We can apply these truths to every work. and You ought to be in the habit of subjecting every deed that you do, uh, applying this filter to every deed you do, and ask yourself, does the way I handle this specific work, does it reflect godly wisdom or does it reflect the earthly wisdom? Have I applied that truth, God's truth, to this specific work? And so we're going to talk about controversial things too because we're already here. No, things that are off the table a lot of times. Yeah. And I'm thinking about our dress. And, and, and so, you know, be careful, brother. I get it. It's a landmine. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure why. Yeah. Uh, because God's people ought to be willing to apply truth to every work. And so, is the way that you dress a work? Sure is. Well, yeah. And so, does that mean so then will I answer for the way that I dress if it's a work? Well, yeah. yeah. Okay, so does the way that I dress reflect God's wisdom or the earth or earthly wisdom? Yeah. It's literally a question we all should be asking. Not because I'm gonna give you a standard tonight, but because I want you to 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 apply this filter and this way of thinking to everything that is done, everything that you do. It depends so so is the way you dress a work? Yes. So will I answer for every work? Uh, yes. So that means that that there will be some answering for the way that I dress. Okay, does the way that I dress then reflect God or reflect the culture? It, well, it depends on how you dress, how you determine that. If you simply dress in such a way that the culture says this is acceptable and this is the norm and you've not been willing to honestly subject your dress standards To any kind of truth in God's word. Is that earthly wisdom or are you be directed by godly wisdom? See, and I'm not even talking about specific items of dress tonight. I'm talking about a spirit that says you can preach about anything you want, but don't talk about that. Why not? Because we dress every day, right? I mean, hopefully we dress every day. I don't know why I said right. Hopefully. No, is there anything that we do more regularly than getting dressed for the day? I mean, eating maybe, sleeping. I mean, we get dressed a lot. And so let's be careful of saying, well, that one's off the table because that's a work we do every day. And if I'm going to answer for every work, then I want to make sure that I've applied God's truth to that work as well. I'm not talking about items of dress. I'm talking about the spirit. It says that one's off the table. Okay. So the the Bible, though, does talk about the way that we dress in the Old Testament. So on some level, then we must assume it does matter to God. But I don't want, but what I want, don't want, and I'm being very careful about how I say this. I don't want you to think I'm making this a matter of spirituality. I want to come at it from an angle, um, a different uh, angle, although still true, but an angle that I think that we can all agree on. And that is that I want you to consider applying principles of gender to the way that you dress. Did God make male and female? Well, if you read the Bible and you believe it, then he did. So that means then that there is a way for a man to be, in God's will, be as masculine as possible. And there is a way for a female to be as feminine as possible. And if we believe that God created male and female, then we have to believe that there is a way for a man to be as masculine as possible and a female to be as feminine as possible. Um, So uh, what, what clearer, though, then, way to express... 100% 100% masculinity and 100% femininity than in the way that we dress. It's something we do every day. It's not a matter of spirituality. I want you to understand, I'm not saying it's a matter of spirituality. I'm saying in a, in a culture that needs to see the difference between a male and a female, then where are they going to see it than from God's people who believe the Bible and believe that every work matters? I mean, is a distinction between the genders less necessary or more necessary in today's culture? It's more necessary. Culture has all but erased the differences between the genders. And, and folks, who is going to do what James said and show the effects of God's truth on gender better than God's people? Well, I would submit to you that nobody will do it in as biblical a way as somebody who believes the Bible. And, and I can tell you this, they're not going to see the distinctions from anybody else. I mean, there, there should be no other group of people more determined to show 100% masculine and 100% feminine than a group of Bible believers. And you got some, I mean, I know some saying, careful preacher. Some topics are off limits. Well, I think we'd all agree the world needs to see men being men. And ladies being ladies. And embracing the roles that God has given them. And by the way, before you think that I'm saying the only way to do that is in the way you dress... It's not. There's a lot of ways that a man should be a 100% man and a woman should be 100% woman. But the most obvious and visible and easiest way for a child of God to do that is in the way that they dress. And again, I'm not making it a matter of spirituality. I'm making this a matter of you choosing as much as you can. If you want to live a life to show by your works that you've applied God's wisdom to your life, then I want, I'm just asking you to consider how you can choose to be as close to 100% of the gender that God made you as possible. And, and understand, I'm not even setting your personal standards. I would not even think that that's my role. Okay? As, a, as husbands and wives, you decide that standard. And what we've decided that standard in our home. You decide that standard in your home. Um, I, now, I can have an influence in asking, though, that when you represent Eastside Baptist Church, that we have a certain standard. And that's not unfair because if you work at a... Fat, I mean, Taco John's has uniforms, okay? And the food's not that great. No, just kidding. Taco John's has uniforms. And what they're doing is far less important than what we're doing. And so if you're representing Eastside, then I would ask that you that you say, okay, you know, Eastside as a church, we are called as a church to represent God to a culture. And in a culture where, where gender has been all but erased, we as a church are going to say, you know what, we're going to do our part to let people see 100% masculine, 100% feminine. So when we're at church, we're involved in an activity and And we're doing things together and representing and being part of Eastside. I want to ask you to consider helping us to fulfill that role of of our calling. 100% male, 100% female. You can help us do that. But my question tonight is not to help you set your standard. Now, I hope maybe it will. Maybe it will help you. But my question tonight is for you to ask yourself the question, how can I reveal or show godly wisdom in the way that I dress? Because I think for some of us, that topic has been off the table. You know, so I'm not going to deal with that one. You know, that one's, that's off limits. But if it's a work I'm going to answer to, I better make sure that I've considered truth. And that I will apply truth to that standard. You know, we have to do that every once in a while. And it's, and it's not just dress, by the way. I'm moving on from that one. Okay. It's, it's raising children. You know, it's, it's our family lives. If we want to be an example and, and reveal God's wisdom in our parenting, um, how does that look compared to somebody who doesn't follow the Lord? You know, we have to ask that question. What I would say then is that earthly wisdom caters to things that kids are already good at. I mean, think about this. The kids already have things they naturally like to do. And so as a parent, in some ways, I'm thinking, well, then if that's something they naturally just do and they naturally just want to be a part of, then then discipline means that I don't just cater to everything they like. Probably what they naturally want to do isn't the best thing for them. I'm telling you, my son is in here, Jace is in here. And I'm telling you, Jace, if he had his way... I mean, he would play a lot of video games. And we let him at times. Somebody gave us an Xbox, and, and we let him at times, but there, we go months at a time where we don't pull that thing out because he's already good at it. It's something he naturally already wants to do. And so then as a parent, I view it as my job to help him not just do the things he wants to do and is good at, but to help him get better at some things that may not come as naturally that he may not like as much. We were just having this conversation yesterday you know, about video games and, and, and how I would rather him grow up and, and know the Lord than I would have him be good at video games. Amen. And I'd rather him spend his time, uh, I would tell him, I'd rather you spend your time learning how to t- tell somebody how to get saved. than, than Now, there, it's time. There are times where video games are fine, but he's already naturally inclined to that so I view it as my role in discipline to not just feed the things he wants to do all the time. That's our, that's our job as parents. See, what we have, we live in a culture of parents that feed what their kids want to do all the time. And it's created a really entitled generation. So we need to be careful of just feeding the things they like to do. Video games. And I just what you think about You think about the applications, the things they naturally do. You know, I'm thinking about even here at church, how do we apply this? Well, I mean, when, it, when my kids come into the room, I mean, at least the only one I have left that still wants to do this is Jace. But when Jace walks into the building, you know what he wants to do? He wants to run down the hallway and go see his friends. So because that's something that he naturally wants to do, then I'm thinking, you know what? Discipline means that I need to tell him, you know what? You shouldn't be running down the hallway. I knew they'd be that silent. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, and I mention this every once in a while. But Our kids are zipping around sometimes. I've almost been knocked over a few times. And I think, t- parents, it's time for us to kind of reclaim the discipline required in a church building. And, and the natural thing for that, I mean, I'm looking at Miss Marlis here. I, I would hate for her to get knocked over by some bullet. <laughs> Um, and yet, it's kind of zipping all around sometimes. And and as parent, you know, as a parent, I take that seriously. Now, my my child's been, Jace has been guilty of that before, and I and I get on to him. And you can get on to him if you see him doing it. Um, but but I but if I see yours doing it, I'm going to try to probably stop them as well, because they naturally run. That's what they do. But we, you know, it'd be good for us to help them understand that church is not a playground. Uh, and and I mean, it's not a place to. And I know there are times you gotta you know keep them busy, but but you know when I was a kid you couldn't bring your toys to school, and yeah you know sometimes we have on Monday mornings we have toys all over the place, uh, but but if we're gonna teach them that ch- that church isn't a playground maybe the toys should remain remain at home or remain in a certain area because we're trying to discipline to think differently about the church building, and it requires us to help them do the things they naturally aren't really wanting to do. And, and listen, I know I'm making enemies here tonight, but, but, but this is how specific, listen, if I'm going to answer for every work, then the way that I train my children to act in church is a work I will answer for. And the way that I, I, I raise them in the things that I want them to be good at, I'm gonna answer for that. And the time, hey folks, the time they spend on the Xbox, I'm gonna answer for that. And, and, and I want you just to understand that every work matters, every deed. And, and if every deed matters, then as your pastor, I have to help you think about those things. But I want to give you balance, okay? So don't, maybe I've upset you tonight, okay? And That's not my goal. Because I want to give you a balance here at the end of verse 13. Because it says this, who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works. You show your wisdom by your works. And with his works with meekness of wisdom. And here's the other way you show your wisdom. You show your wisdom with a good spirit. See, here's, here's the thing. Um, meekness means Gentleness it means humility it means being gracious it means being tender and the rest of this passage is about and we'll look at it later but here's the balance because i've been talking about works a lot tonight but here's the balance is that though there are works of there are bricks that are works that build us a beautiful life but but the balance is is that our spirit is also a brick And our spirit matters as much as every individual work that we do. And I want to end on this thought tonight that if you have every right position, you have every right work, but you have the wrong disposition, it cancels out every work you've been trying to do. See, though our works matter, our motives matter to God just as much or more. And the Pharisees, they had all the bricks in order, didn't they? But they didn't have a spirit that pleased the Lord. And the last thing I want to do, I give you these applications just every once in a while because we need to think that on that level. But the last thing I want to do is create a church full of Pharisees. And and I preach these things because I want you to honestly, before God, think about every position that you hold and make sure you've applied God's truth to that position not just what you prefer or not just what the culture says uh, or it seems, it deems acceptable. No, if you come to a different position, again, I'm not the one standing uh, there at your judgment seat encounter. That's between you and the Lord. But the Bible does say this, that I will on some level answer for your souls. And that's, and, and, and I, my job, my role as a pastor is not to tell you what to do, but it's to do my best to prepare you for the judgment seat of Christ. And so I hope that you'll give me some liberty, even in areas you may not agree with, um, because you know that my heart is not to tell you what to do, but to make you think enough that you'll be the most prepared you can be when you stand before God. And what you do with this is up to you, but my prayer is that you don't just dismiss it because you don't like it. You would be wise, we would all be wise to subject our positions and our dispositions to God's truth. Let me just say, I don't want Eastside to just be a place where works are done. I want it to be a place where a spirit of gentleness can always be found. So that no matter your position or your standard, you know when you come here. You will find a spirit of gentleness, meekness, and love. And I think, I believe that you can have both. I believe you can have the right positions. You can have the right standards. And you can even stand strong on them. But I also believe you can have a spirit of humility and a spirit of acceptance and loving people where they are and helping them get to maybe the next step. But until they do, you just love them where they are. You know, if every work matters, we ought to be serious about applying God's truth to every work we do and to every attitude we have. That's, folks, that's how you show your wisdom. You're not afraid to apply truth to everything you do. And if you do, you can live a beautiful life because you show it by good good works and you show it by a good spirit. Listen, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. I don't know about you. I want to live a beautiful life, but I want good works and I want a good spirit. And also, not only that, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Good works and a good spirit. Actually, that's the kind of children I want to raise. Good works and a good spirit. And if you teach in the back, that's the kind of teacher you ought to be. You ought to have good works, but you ought to have a good spirit. If you're a deacon, you ought to have good works and a good spirit. If you're a friend, you ought to have good works and a good spirit. If you're a neighbor, you ought to have good works and a good spirit. And as we, as we consider that every work and every spirit we have matters, then what we start to do is realize, well, we're building a beautiful life here. And when we stand before God um, and, and we have to answer for those things, we won't have a, all the shame that we could have because we specifically applied truth to, to every work we could. And listen, let's make sure that we're that kind of people. And I, I appreciate you being willing to hear some things that may be hard um, and be willing to apply them to your life. Um, and, and listen, just take it as you will. If, it, if you end up in a different place than me, then then that's fine. I, we, we're still friends. But what I want you to do tonight is consider that, that God's truth should make a difference in those areas. And you ought to be willing to at least accept the fact that I'm going to subject this to some kind of truth. And if I come out differently than you, hey, that's, that's fine. But if you want to talk about it, let's do it. But, but don't assume I'm confronting you because I'm trying to get you to change. I'm trying to get you to think for yourself. And not just assume that the way you've always done it or the way that the culture says to do it is right. But that God's truth has a say in the works and the spirit that we hold. Let's stand together.